You're listening to the Elevate Podcast, the official podcast of the Coastal LA Singles Ministry, where our focus is reaching up, reaching in, and reaching out. All right, good morning, everybody. We're going to get started with a quick word of prayer, so if you can join us, bow your heads, close your eyes. Uh, Father, we just worship you because you are an incredible God. Uh, we lift up your name as our Father and our King. Uh, God, we are honored to be able to share in your, your word today. God, we know good and well there's nothing new to teach. Uh, but we all need reminders in our faith um, so that we can make it with you. Uh, thank you for your patience, for your mercy, and for your grace with us, God. And I uh, just ask that we get a chance to see you a little more clearly or get to be reminded of you. I'm in the words today. Uh, God, please be with us. It's your son's holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, so my name is Lindsay Dominguez, and this is Diane Gelpi. We're from the... We're, we're, we're San Diego locals. Um, and, and we're speaking on Jesus more than enough. And we wanted a more enticing title, but... Um, but but our, our heart is teaching or talking about how to trust when it feels like Jesus isn't enough mm. and when trust in Jesus isn't enough. Mm. So I want to share a quick story. Um, two weeks ago, I went on a camping trip and it was supposed to be one of those get away alone for six days with God and listen for his voice kind of camping trips. Um, God is gracious and chose to not let me go alone, which was a good thing. And you'll hear a little bit why. Uh, the brothers that I went with, we decided to kind of keep the trip somewhat of a secret um, in terms of what we share, just to kind of keep it intimate with God. But I want to share a couple of highlights that I'll talk about throughout the rest of my time while I speak. Uh, two of them, I was again, I was supposed to go alone um, to the wilderness somewhere where, where I was isolated, just to kind of have one of those Jesus in the 40 days kind of thing, but not for 40 days. Um, and last minute, two brothers decided to join. And I said, okay, you guys can come, but you're going to camp separate from me. I don't want to see you or talk to you. And long story short, we drive to Arizona. We get there. Um, nothing goes as planned, but we find a spot kind of in the middle of nowhere in a forest. And we decided to stay together the first night because it was just too scary to separate. And, um, and we, we didn't know enough about the landscape. We didn't know about the will. We just didn't do proper research. And, um, and it was interesting. There was two things that really hit. One was the first night, was there was all this excitement and zeal leading up to the trip. And as soon as the sun set, everything changed. And the second one I'll talk about for my second and third points, which was the third night when we had a, a windstorm come through the forest. I want you to turn to Matthew 14, verse 22. And this is a familiar story, but one that I connected with differently because of this experience. At one point in the trip, I had spoken to God and said, God, I, I don't want you to have brought me out here just to tell me I need to come back for a longer period of time. I want an experience and a word this time that could only have been learned here. Because I wasn't sure if he was speaking. I was starting to doubt why I even went out there. So Matthew 14, 22 says, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, Tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him and said, good job. Now he said, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And they climbed into the boat, and the wind died down. And I, I understood this differently because I, 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 I could understand where Peter was at. I asked God for my, for my birthday this year to meet me out in the wilderness. I asked him if I can go out there and if he would meet me. And he said yes. And I said, okay, great. 
So then I go out, kind of like Peter, goes out, and then starts to doubt almost immediately. And then starts to sink. And so I have to ask myself, what do you call everything that happened before he took that step? Because to me, that looks like faith. I haven't walked on water yet. I, I can't say I, I can't claim that faith yet. But Peter did. And so I, I had to reason, what was it? What do you call it? All the steps that happen before you start to sink. And here was my experience. The first step is zeal and excitement. I think there's a genuine tugging on Peter's heart as there was on mine to meet God in the wilderness. So much to ask the question, can I go? Can I come and see you? The second step is the trust to step out. I think Peter had a genuine trust that he could walk on water because of who Jesus was. And so same for me. I drove seven hours because I was convinced that God would meet me out there. I think here's where Peter got stuck. It requires faith to endure the journey. It takes trust to make the first step. It requires faith to endure the rest. And this is where I was exposed because as soon as night fell, all the excitement and zeal got overwhelmed with anxiety, fear, and uncertainty. And I was with my two brothers, and I remember, I'm not typically an anxious guy. It's not something I wrestle with very often. I was, I was paralyzed our first night. Um, we, we, <laughs> we started a fire, and we didn't really know how. And so we didn't clear out the dry pine needles around the fire, and it started spreading outside of the fire. And the wind was blowing, and there was embers flying. We don't know what we're doing. Wait, what, what kind of animals about here? Are, are, are bears in hibernation still? I, I was paralyzed. And, and I had only gone with a cot and then like a mosquito net to go over the cot, essentially. That's all I went with. And thank God, a brother had come with a four-person tent. So there was, there was some security in that. And that will become important in the second point. But, um, but I was paralyzed in what I thought was a faithful journey and immediately doubted God and didn't even call it doubt. I just said it was reasonable fear. And the next morning I woke up and read this and I felt so rebuked by God. But I think there was still one more step that Peter didn't get a chance to experience in this moment. And it's the point that I want to drive home throughout the rest of this time, but it's submission. Submission to me is this place of ultimate uh, laying down of self. It's like this dying type of sacrifice. It's a reckless abandonment when you're faced with death or intense grief. I think we know what submission feels like. It's when that, that anxiety or that loss of appetite overwhelms you and you kind of just, you kind of just give up because you realize no one else can help you except for God. And I think Peter didn't get a chance to reach that. I think this is where God is trying to get us at all times. But I think we miss it sometimes because we don't have enough trust or faith to even get to that spot. I experienced this in the forest and, um, as stable and faithful as I feel, I was exposed that first night. Um, I'll let Diane share. Sorry, I'm a shorty. Um, <laughs> when I was thinking about this topic, when, when Lindsay and I were talking about this topic, Jesus more than enough, finding peace and power in his name, the name of Jesus. And I thought about how God has been asking his people that throughout history. Am I enough? Like, am I enough? He started with Adam and Eve. He put them in the garden. He gave them everything they needed. And he asked them that same question. Am I enough? And they decided he was not enough, right? They wanted something more. And so they send. You think about the Israelites. You read chapter after chapter of God trying to tell them, I'm enough. I'm all you need. I will take care of you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to guide you. And time after time, they didn't believe that he was enough. And they sought after those things. And I think about God asks us that same thing every single day. Am I enough for you? Is Jesus enough? And uh, the definition of being enough means something that fully meets demands, needs, expectations, or the quality that satisfies or is sufficient or necessary for satisfaction. So we each define that. It's not a set thing. It's not everybody has a different idea of what that means. God has an idea of what that means, but we personally have a different idea. 
Um, I love when, when Lindsay talked about Peter. You know, Peter was zealous, and he really sincerely had a desire to walk on water. He really did. He wanted to do it. He asked Jesus to help him, you know, told him, you know, tell me to come to you, and I will. And he started and failed. And I think in his eyes, he looked at it as a failure. And like what Lindsay was saying, I don't think he failed. Because honestly, I'm not walking out of that boat in the middle of the, you know, I've been on that ocean. It's not a fun thing to do. But he had enough faith. And he knew enough about God that he asked about Jesus that he said, ask me to come to you. And he, he stepped out of the boat. And I think about that. So many of us, I've, I've talked to women that you're doing life and you're succeeding. But because you have this end goal and you didn't reach that end goal, you think that you're not being successful, that Jesus is not enough. He's enough because you've got to look at all the steps that you made along the way that God has empowered you to do and trust and believe in those things. You know, and, and that's what Jesus, he cried out to Jesus and Jesus helped him. And Jesus is helping us as we go along in life. And not to get focused on the fact that he didn't walk all the way, but to get focused on the fact that he stepped out of the boat and he took some steps. And the same with us. We lead powerful, powerful lives. But I think sometimes we forget that because we don't see the thing that we think we need. Amen? I think about Peter. Like, he could step out of that boat because of what he knew about Jesus. I was flipping through the gospel this morning, and he had seen Jesus heal the lame, the paralyzed, the blind, the demon-possessed. He understood Jesus. He understood Peter understood his own limitations, but he also knew the power of Jesus. And at that moment, when he saw Jesus and he remembered everything that he'd seen Jesus do, he connected with Jesus. At that moment, he felt Jesus. At that moment, he felt the, he knew that God, that Jesus could do it. And so he was able to take that step of faith and walk out of that boat. And I think the, for us, the peace and the confidence is broken sometimes with us when we lack that connection with God. Like that connection with Jesus that we remember exactly who he is and what he's able to do. We have to maintain that connection. Uh, when uh, Lindsay talked about submitting, I know for myself, it's easier for me to submit when I'm remembering who Jesus is. When I'm remembering him and not myself. When I'm look, not looking at the storms around me, but I'm focused on him. And I think about the disciples and all the people that followed Jesus from the, from childhood They'd heard about Jesus. They knew they were expecting this savior that was going to come into the world and it was going to save them and take them out of the dark world that they were living in. And so they were looking for this king, this Messiah. And so when they saw Jesus in 1 John 1, 1 through 4, and I'm going to read it from the Passion version, version. It says, we saw him with our very own eyes. We gazed upon him and heard him speak. Our hands actually touched him. The one who was from the beginning, the living expression of God, this life giver was made visible and we have seen him. We testify to this truth. The eternal life giver lived face to face with the father and has now dawned upon us. So we proclaim to you what we have heard and seen about this life giver so that you may share and enjoy this life together. For truly our fellowship is with the father and his son, Jesus, we are writing these things to you because we want to release you to our fullness of joy. Like there is something about being with Jesus, that connection with Jesus that they made that helped them be joyful, joyful in the midst of life. And if you read their lives, it wasn't like it was an easy life, but just knowing Jesus brings you joy. Just knowing Jesus brings you peace. And I think we have to really get that. It's not like circumstances. It's just knowing they were just happy to be saved. They were just happy to have a savior that came in the world to help them that helped them. They had so much joy in their lives. And if you think about their lives, actually, they were so enmeshed with that, that his life became their life, his focus, his desire, his mission, his everything, even to his death, they all were martyred because of Jesus. They were willing to do that because of his life. And, um, I was thinking about how, when you talk about connection, one of my heroes in the faith in the Bible is David. And he had such a strong connection to Jesus and to God. Amen. And I think about he had everything. He had a position. He had a wife. He had a wise counselor. He had a friend in Jonathan. He had self-respect. And guess what? He lost all of those things, right? 
But it says, but you look at his life and he, God describes him as a man after his, his own heart. Like there was something that he knew about God and Jesus that kept him knowing that God was enough for him. And he didn't feel peace at all times. One of my favorite Psalms about David is in Psalm 73. And to me, it helps me when I'm in those moments of not finding peace. I look at the scripture. No one can deny it. God is really good to Israel and to all those who are pure in hearts. But I nearly miss seeing it for myself. Here's my story. I came so close to missing it the way, this way. I was stumbling over what I saw with the wicked. For when I saw the people with wealth and prosperity, I became jealous over their smug security, indulging in whatever they wanted, going where they wanted, doing what they wanted, with no care in the world, no pain, no problems. They seemed to have it all made. They lived as though life would never end, and here I am, suffering under your discipline day after day. I feel like I'm being punished all day long. Can anybody relate to those feelings sometimes in life where you're just like, what? My coworkers, they have everything. They travel. They have money. They meet guys. They meet girls. We think that, right? It looks so good. Satan deceives you. And you think those things look so good. And David was just like us. He's looking at the world and he's like, look at them. They have everything. And why am I punished like this? I have a relationship with you, God. And then he says, but one day, one day, I was brought into the sanctuary of God. And in the light of glory, my distorted perspective vanished. Then I understood that the destiny of the wicked were near. Yet in spite of all this, you comfort me, back to God, with your counsel. You draw me closer. You lead me with your secret wisdom. And following you brings your brightness and glory with whom I have in heaven but you. You're all I want. No one on earth means as much to me as you. And I love that because his expectation went from the fixer of my life, giver of all these things, to you're my shepherd, you're my savior, and all is good with the world. He felt content. His heart changed. Jesus transformed his thoughts into God was enough. I think the other thing sometimes that we... That, help, that helps or hinders us with our peace and power is that we have false expectations about who God is. And I think about that, like what happens in our human relationship when you have expectations and those things don't happen? Like somebody lets you down, they disappoint you, they hurt your feelings. If you're not like me, but I'm going to tell you what I do, you get disappointed, you get upset, you withdraw, you disconnect from them and sometimes from God, Right. And we do the same thing to Jesus sometimes when our expectations for him are not what we think he should be doing for us. Either we think he's a Santa Claus. Here's my list. I want my Christian walk to be successful, win status, money, happiness, friendships, love life, living situation, employment. All those things are great. I will be at peace and will be good, God. And sometimes we look at God that way, seriously. And sometimes our expectation is that Jesus is Dr. Phil. I don't know if some of you young people know who that is. I asked Lindsay, I'm like, well, they know Dr. Phil. And he's like, yeah, they'll know. So hopefully you know who that is. <laughs> if not, I've just dated myself horrendously. Okay, okay. So you think that, that Dr. Phil and that he's going to fix all your problems. Like, I'll have peace when my parents get off my back, my boss understands me, my discipling times will answer every doubt and fear and problem that I have. Then I'll have peace. But God didn't say that. He says, I will protect you. I will save you. I will give you strength so that the temptations and the storms of life don't overwhelm you. And David remembered that through that psalm. And then he went back to delighting and in peace with God. You know, so when, when Diane and I were discussing this, um, it worked out perfect because I, I told her, I said, man, it's so crazy you're talking about peace because I feel like that's the cost of not submitting. And... It's so easy for us to associate suffering or, or peace to be the opposite of suffering. And I think with God, it's different. And the second point that I was thinking but also wrestling through in this, this camping trip was your suffering is for his glory. And I think it's something that we don't understand or something that we wrestle with on a consistent basis. I know for me, I got, I got baptized when I was 18, and it was before... I had the opportunity to live out all of my fantasies, 
all the things that I wish I could have done before becoming a disciple. And periodically in my time as a disciple, I'll think back and go, man, what would it be like just to get the fill and then come back? And um, because there's a suffering in never knowing what it would have been like. And obviously God reminds us through Bible studies or through his grace or through other people's stories and testimonies that it's not worth it. It's an empty jar. It's a jar with holes in it. Like I get all that, but it still sucks. It still hurts and it still gnaws at your spirit to want to know. Your suffering is for his glory. I want to turn to Hebrews 5, 7 through 9. And this was probably my favorite takeaway from the camping trip. I think enduring and persevering can be difficult if our motivations or our perspectives are off. Hebrews 5, 7 through 9. And this is in light of this camping trip, okay? It says, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So night one passes, and we woke up alive. We weren't mauled to death. Um, In fact, that first night, we heard three loud gunshots and literally an explosion in our same part of the forest. So we survived. As a city boy growing up in Miami, now living in San Diego, the number of scenarios that go through your mind when you can't see like what's beyond this pine tree forest is fun. Um, and I have a mom who always tells me how I'm going to die when I travel. You know, she's like, you're going to get kidnapped. And um, so I was like, oh, I, I, I hope she's not right, you know. So first night we live. Second day, the sun comes up. I, I wrote a, I remember I wrote a part of my journal that said, I, I've never longed so much for the break of dawn. Um, I, I couldn't wait till the sun came back up. And I could see, second day goes well, night falls again, we have the skills now, the know-how to start a good fire. Um, and I was feeding off the courage of my brothers that were with me, uh, and off of the history of having survived the first night. So second night comes, goes, slept really well. Third night, and it's funny, because I had prayed to God that I wanted some cool highlights during the trip. And day three is a day of resurrection. It's a day of the earth shaking, you know. So day three, we go to this lava ruins, this area that was desolated by a lava eruption 800 years ago. And in this pit of black rock is this small little pine tree forest with a perch on it. And I was so encouraged by God. I was like, yes, this is, resur-. you know, I was praying for, for a sign of resurrection. And that was perfect. And then night three came. When the, you know, when the earth shakes. So there was a strong wind advisory that we didn't know about. And from Miami, like tropical storms and hurricanes are normal. So that wasn't a big deal. But we were in a small, we were in small tents and there were 53 mile per hour gusts that came through the forest. And, and as a grown man, I was terrified. I was terrified. It was like watching the little kid go, Mom, there's thunder outside, you know? You're like, aw. Um, but all, all the anxiety from the first night times 10 came back. Because we were still cold, so we're trying to start a fire. But the wind is blowing the fire so hard. We had to put the fire out three times. Because the wind kept bringing it back up. And um, and and this, this, was a, this was a tough night. Um, I ended up moving my tent or my stuff into the big tent. And the, the walls of the tent were literally collapsing on us. And then, you know, when the wind would re- relief, it would kind of open back up. So we could feel the tent on our faces. And, um, and I don't struggle with anger toward God very often, but I was, I was angry. And I, I really started to question, why did you bring me out here? Like, this wasn't the plan. And... 
And I, I think about this scripture. It says that he learned obedience through what he suffered. And then I think about Jesus' time, 40 days, no food, with the wild animals in the desert, by himself, without the modern luxuries of today. So I read this scripture on day four. At <laughs> this time it was snowing. But I read this scripture and, and I'm wrestling with, because it sounds like it's talking about a time before the start of Jesus' ministry when he had to learn to become the Messiah. He had to learn reverent submission. He had to learn obedience. The Messiah had to learn obedience. And it says, once made perfect or prepared, he then became the atoning sacrifice. And I thought, I wonder if this scripture is talking about his time in the desert. Because I I wasn't afraid of dying that night, but I understood not having control. I understood how the great high priest, which is what it talks about in the verses right before this, could relate to almost anything we've been through spending 40 days in the desert. I mean, think about that. There's no tent. There's no car to escape to like we had. He wasn't taking a lighter and lighter fluid and wood. He was having to figure it out for 40 days with no food. So the things that we think we wrestle through, like, is Jesus enough? You know, our focus is to imitate Jesus. He was here to bring glory to the Father. Is the Father enough? Did he send me down? Did he make a mistake again? Is he going to flood this thing one more time? Like, you have Peter who rejects him right before he goes to the cross, the one who's supposed to be the rock, and he doesn't get it? I would have told God, start over. If Peter doesn't get it, how are you guys going to get it? How am I going to get it 2,000 years later? And yet through all that, the great high priest can empathize. The great high priest knows what it's like to suffer chronically. He knows what it's like to have a feeling of terminal. He knows what it's like to be completely alone. To be left to his own thoughts in silence. I think it was in the 40 days that he learned to become the high priest that we can empathize with. And I was encouraged and convicted by that. That Jesus himself had to learn suffering. But here was the focus. It was for the purpose of being obedient. It was for God's glory. That he would become the atoning sacrifice because the Father sent him here to become that. And in our suffering, we tend to think that peace is the end game. That it's the opposite of suffering. But with God, peace is magnified and understood in suffering. I want to read from one of my favorite commentators. It's a little long, so bear with me. But I think he puts it beautifully. He refers to the scripture that talks about Why is my soul still so downcast, but yet I will worship you? That there's this tugging of characters in this one verse. He says, why art thou cast down? Hope thou in God. These two moods are, if not coexistent, at least so quickly alternating in his consciousness that he has to reason with himself about both. He has fits of deep depression, followed by and sometimes accompanied with fits of restless complaining. And he puts to himself the question, what is it all about? Why Go through this. Now, if we translate that question in a general expression, it comes to this. A man is worth very little unless there is a tribunal in him to which he brings up his feelings and makes them justify their existence and tell him what they mean by their noise and their complaining. He that has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down And without walls, the affections, the emotions, the feelings of sorrow or gladness, of dissatisfaction with what God's given me, or of enjoyment and complacency in it, are excited by the mere presence of external circumstances. Those things cause things to happen inside of us. But the fact that they exist is not a warrant for their existence. And the first thing to be done in regard to them is to see 
that if the deeper part of us will cross-examine the other part of us and say, tell me, have you reason for your being? If not, take yourselves away. It is required of us to put our sufferings and our emotions and the things that we go through on trial and say, what place do you have here? And so often we put God on trial and say, what place do you have here? He says, when God governs the spirit, the spirit governs the soul. And the man who has yielded himself to God, first of all, in the surrender, possesses himself and can truly say, I will delight in God. Only when the heart is united to fear God's name is there true concord within. Oh, to live more continually under the influence of that glorious light of the assured future in the faithfulness that God does provide when our lips shall be loosed to give forth his praise and when he shall have learned that every sorrow, every disappointment, every loss, every painful effort, all that here seemed kindred with darkness was really but a modification of light and was a thing to be thankful for. If only we chose to walk in the light of the future, then the poor present would be so small and powerless to harm us. I shall yet praise his name is the language that befits us all. My question is, how are you doing with suffering? Is there suffering that you've been avoiding that it's time to enter and finally meet God? And I remember talking to different people about this point. And people are going, oh, so you're talking about persevering when things get difficult. I'm like, man, if, if you've connected with your sin and if you live on earth, suffering is all the time. This isn't just about singleness. This is about my brothers who I've sinned against. This is about the people who have sinned against me. This is about my past and my constant sin and my unwilling, my, un, my inability to overcome it, but my continual fight to give God glory and to trust in his grace. There is pain in all of that. There's suffering all the time. I say this year was the first year I started to really want heaven. Like, I can't wait. And this has also been the most peaceful year. But the times that have been difficult are difficult. I look forward to heaven. How are you doing suffering for God's glory? Amen. As uh, Lindsay was just speaking, I was just thinking about how we define, we live in a supernatural spirit world, and how we define things so differently. Peace to us means very different things to peace in the world. But I think we have to really get that. We have to let God's word transform that so that we understand that. Um, And some kind of, some questions too, along with Lindsay. Do we think that peace means easy and uneventful? In our life, is that what how we define peace? If life is challenging, does that nullify His promises to give us peace? I think sometimes we have to ask ourselves that because sometimes we respond that way, and it can't because He says in the Word, John fifteen thirty three, and everything I have taught you is so that the peace which is in me will be in you. So His teachings gives us peace, right? And will give you great confidence as you rest in me. I love that this morning when I was reading that. That he is allowing us, when we rest in him, <coughs> excuse me, when we rest in him, we have confidence and we have peace. It's so much about connecting and being in Jesus. The peace that we have. If you're not feeling peace and you're feeling in, you're not what, you got to go back to Jesus. you got to go back to the source. And he says, for in this unbelieving world, You will experience trouble and sorrow, but you must be courageous for I have conquered the world. And like those words, knowing Jesus, those words have to give us peace. Like sometimes in your midst of the storm, you gotta go, but he has conquered the world and I can take peace in that. I can rest in that. We experience peace with God, not because we don't suffer, but because his peace is in us and therefore we're confident in that peace. 
Um, in Acts 5, 40 and 42, it says, So they brought the apostles back in and had them severely beaten. They ordered them never to speak again in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left there rejoicing. Say that again, rejoicing. It thrilled that God had considered them worthy to to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus and nothing stopped them. Again, who finds happiness and joy in getting beat? Anybody in here? I mean, I've never had that experience. It's not a fun thing. But you look at the joy because they define peace and joy differently than the way we define peace and joy. For them to be counted worthy of Jesus was enough to make them happy. And I think we've got to go back to that. And you wonder how much, how much glory did God get when the people that just beat them saw them going out like, yes, oh my gosh, that was amazing. You think, you do look to God. Sometimes when we go through suffering and we survive and we're joyful and happy and people know what you're going through, God gets glory. And that's why we exist to give him glory. Amen? I heard in a sermon about uh, walking on the water and he said the most important line in there was that Jesus made them get into the boat and sent them in the storm. Jesus told them, get in the boat and go there. And he knew there was a storm coming. So sometimes Jesus sends you into your storms because he wants to achieve something in your life. And uh, when Lindsay and I were talking about this, and well, one of the things that the, the, the sermon, the guy that was doing the sermon said is that so that we will call on the name of Jesus, we will call on him because Peter called on Jesus, right? And one of the things that when Lindsay and I were talking about this topic, we both had our moments of where are you Jesus moments. And mine is flying. I hate to fly. I hate it. I hate it. I just, I fly all, like every six weeks I, I fly. And I am literally, as I'm walking down the plank, texting people to pray for me. Please pray for smooth, I have the same prayer, smooth and safe. That's what I pray for, right? And I had this experience um, last month, yeah, last month, where we got on the plane, there's all these storms all along the East Coast, and we get on the, we get on the plane, and literally I want a silent pilot. I just want you to do the, you know, take the flight. I don't want you to tell me anything about the air. I don't want to know. So anyway, so we get on the, we're, first we're, we're an hour waiting for the turb, for the air to get clear so we can go. Then they board us on the plane. Then we're sitting there and he goes, um, we're just going to have to sit here for a little while because the air, we can't take off. It's really turbulent. He said, you cannot penetrate the air right now. Didn't want to hear that. And he says, um, so they're looking for a hole that we can go through. Didn't want to hear that. And then he says, um, so we're going to sit here till we find that hole. 45 minutes later, he comes back on. He goes, you know, we're going to try to take a way around, but we need to see if we have gas to do that. So we're just going to try to figure that out and we'll come back. Again, didn't want to hear that. Now, I've just heard this Peter sermon, right, about walking on the water, calling on Jesus. So anyway, so then he comes back on. He says, no. And all I'm praying, literally, for an hour and 45 minutes is Jesus turned the... Oh, no. Let me tell you one more thing. He says, we're going to move the plane a little way over because there's some planes that are going to go back to the terminal. We're not going back to the terminal. These other planes are going back to the terminal. And so um, I just start praying, God, just please love me enough to take this plane back to the terminal. Like, can you just take us back? Like, I will believe and know that you love me and you're answering my prayers if you take this back. Like, that will be it, right? And so then he, five minutes later, he gets up, we're taking off. And I remember just going like, what? And I just said, okay, God, you're taking off because you know you're going to take care of us and it's going to be fine. And so we took off. Now, we're still doing this, you know, as we're taking off. The plane is going kind of crazy. And um, and I'm just praying and praying and like, Literally, it's not like smooth and it's not smooth. It's safe. It's not smooth. And I'm like, you know, talking to God, you know, I ask you for this and everybody's praying. God, do you know everybody's praying and you're not listening? And why aren't you listening? And I need smooth. And I can really literally, like literally I'm doing that and grabbing it because I'm with a sister. I'm grabbing her hand across the aisle the whole time. And, um, and then I heard literally Jesus and I'm like, I am suffering. I'm not at peace and I'm suffering. And I remember I heard Jesus say, can you be at peace in the turbulence because you know I'm with you? Can you be at peace? Can you get yourself to peace because I'm here? And then the other thing, can you be at peace because you believe that I'm enough? 
even if you don't make it to the other side, you'll make it to the other side. It might be the side you want right now, but can you trust me in that? And I can't tell you I was 100% at peace, but I'm telling you there was a calm that came out over me. Because I remembered who God was. I remembered he could part the Red Sea. I remembered he led the Israelites. I remembered, I remembered, I remembered. And I remembered that he was true to his word. And I think about, I've had many, many trials in my life. But I suffer, in that suffering, God has transformed my life in ways that I can't even imagine. And he does the same to us all the time when we trust him. Uh, you know someone's scared of flying when they call the runway the plank. <laughs> when I walk the plank, it's called a runway. Um, I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep this point short because I want to share a poem afterward um, after Diane finishes. But you know, so we're we're in this. We all end up moving into the four person tent. And because the other brother had a one person tent that got blown down and I was sitting in the tent crying out to God. Well, not crying out. I was just angry. And I was like, man, what are you trying to teach us? You didn't bring us out here for nothing. And I remember him saying, I I want you to go out. I'm going to share something that I feel at the time was foolish and still can feel kind of foolish by. Um, I, you know, it was, it was, I want you to go out and, and pray in the wind and speak to the wind. And I was like, nope. Like, I, you know, I just, I come from very religious roots. That sounds like something I, I you know, anyway, I'm not doing it. And it just kept, I mean, we couldn't sleep because the, the wind was so loud. And I, I just kept hearing it. I want you to get out and pray. I said, okay, if you calm the tent for 30 seconds, which seemed impossible in the time, then I'll get out and pray. And sure enough, instantly the, the tent stopped moving. For 35 seconds. And, and you know, I, the purpose of going out and being isolated was to lose my fear of looking foolish. I could sing out loud finally without feeling like people are listening to my voice. I, I could get on my knees and pray without having somebody walk in and, and see my secret prayer, you know? So here my brothers are. Well, I'm in the tent with one. The other one is in his tent. We didn't know it collapsed until I, I got out. And he's like, help. <laughs> so so we rescued him and brought him into the tent. And and so I, I closed the tent back up. And I heard God say, I want you to mark a perimeter around your campsite. And I want you to pray that the wind would pass over. And again, this is one of those, like, I'm, I'm feeling really foolish. Especially if my brothers see me. They're going to be like, what is he doing out there? And so I was obedient um, I went out, I marked a perimeter, um, and I, I, I spoke to God. And I said, man, you give us command of these things. And so I, I spoke to the wind. I said, in the name of Jesus, I, I ask you to pass over. And I told, after having been rebuked by God with Peter, I was like so confident that I was going to enter the tent and that it would be peaceful. And um, I got back in the tent. I even told one of the brothers who was kind of, our tent was kind of being blown off the ground. He was holding the, the walls of the tent. I said, hey, don't worry. God's going to calm it. And I laid down with peace. And I was, I, I was so confident. <laughs> Within like two minutes, the wind came. <clears throat> and so all my frustration came back. And I remember sitting there watching my two brothers not be able to sleep. And I got frustrated. And I said, God, I... I will, I know that you are a God of your word. I know you honor perseverant prayer. I will stay up all night if it means that my brothers get to have peace tonight. I want them to sleep. And I heard him say, but will you pray all night if I calm the storm? Will you still pray if you go through nothing? And the honest answer was absolutely not. Would I have thought to pray all night on my own for my brothers? Had he not brought the wind? And the answer was no. I wouldn't have. And that, that was just humbling. It was humbling to know that um, that God does have to put us through things to get our attention. Because we are so stubborn. Well, not yet, sorry. Um, so... Um, I ended up staying up most of the night just praying 
and the wind didn't relent for quite some time and eventually passed over. Mm-hmm. But I, I think what I realized is, one, even after having been rebuked by God through Matthew or the story of Peter, I had never even apologized to God for my lack of faith. I kind of just learned the lesson and moved on. And then night three comes and I go to him and I'm like, you need to stop this storm. And so I sat there and I was like, I never even paused to say I'm sorry. And I was reminded of a lesson that I think God has been, has been pushing in my life for a while, which is you are not the main character of this story. And that is such a hard thing to learn and to adopt. You are not the main character. You look at the scriptures. I think about James. James, one of the closest of the apostles to Jesus, and he gets one line committed to his obituary. And James was put to death. And the story continues. That's it. Because he wasn't the main character. The entire scripture has been leading up and talking to and talking of a time when the Messiah would come and he would be enough. Fast forward 2,000 years and here we are in our struggles, whatever they might be. And we do the same thing and make ourselves the main character of the story. It says that even Jesus, the Messiah, had to learn reverent submission to God to become the Messiah. So for you to become what God has put you here to become, how much more do we need to fight to be reverently submitted to our God? That was a hard lesson for me. Are you okay with giving up the primary role in your story with God? I'll let Diane share and then I'll share a poem. I love this point that we're not the main character um, in our story. And uh, I love when Lindsay brought that up. And I really had to think about that. And we know that Jesus was not the main story in his story. God was. In John 10.30, he says, I and the Father are one. John 6.38, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. John 14.1, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Matthew 18.11, for the Son of Man has come to to save that which was lost. He was not the main character of his own story. God was. Then it's, you know, John 1 verse, I mean, sorry, 1 John 2.3 says, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus lived. So then we are not the main character of our story. Jesus is. When we live like Jesus, then he becomes the main character in our story. And I think when we, when we, our lives are about being with him and about doing his will and doing exactly as he asks, when we stop focusing on that is when we get a lot of anxiety, lack of peace, because we're focused on us and not on Jesus. We begin to focus on the me, the my, and the I. And when I studied the Bible, it was all about me, 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 I, 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 I. Whenever you hear somebody start that, Jesus is somewhere in the distant past. They're not looking at Jesus. It's all about him. And I think about the apostles. I think about Paul when he wrote this. He says in Acts 20, yet I, in verse 23, yet I know that the Holy Spirit warns me in town after town saying, chains and afflictions are prepared for you. But whether I live or die is not important for I don't esteem my life as indispensable. It's way more important for me to fulfill my destiny and to finish the ministry my Lord Jesus has assigned to me. which is to faithfully preach the wonderful news of God's grace. His peace and power didn't come from an easy, carefree life. It came from being with Jesus and being like Jesus. It excited him to think that he was following in the footsteps of Jesus. Does that excite us? Is that our focus? Am I being like Jesus? This is the, the, on the 29th of this month, it's going to be 30 years as a Christian for me. I remember, I still remember the day that I made Jesus Lord of my life. 
And it's been an amazing life being with Jesus. I've seen God do amazing things. I've seen him, his power. I've seen him transform lives, mine, other people. I've seen him do things with my family, answer prayers. He's blessed my life in many, many ways. I've also seen him take me through many difficult times. A death of a husband. My baptized children walked away for a time. My friends walked away from God. Loneliness, dry times with God when I couldn't feel him. Um, anxiety about different situations and people. It's FYI, when you get ready to do a, le- somebody asks you to do a lesson on peace, beware because you're going to get tried the whole two weeks, right? When you're preparing this lesson and you're like, I'm sitting there like I think Wednesday going, Oh my gosh, I've got that. Oh, that's why. So yeah, that's what happens. Satan's like, really? You're going to talk about peace. <laughs> um, but I think about how during those trials that I've gone through, I mean, it wasn't, none of those things were easy to become a single mom all of a sudden that your kids are 14 and 16 because your husband dies. Like none of those things are easy, you know, moving across country to be with your kids and then they move back over when you're here, you're here for two months or two years. None of those things are easy. Friends being mad at you, upset at you, you know, disappointments with love relationships. None of those things are, are really um, easy. But during those trials, your faith can't get twisted. You know, God is doing something to your character that's going to blow your mind. Because, you know, you look back at yourself and you're like, who is that? Like, <laughs> how'd God do that? You know, he does amazing things when we surrender and we're, we're submit to what he wants to do. You know, it's, it's not an easy ride, but in the end, it's amazing because God does take you to a place that you never believed. You never imagined he could take you to. Our peace can't be based on the lack of trials. Your peace is based on Jesus being with you in the trial. The trial is temporary. The character the trial will produce is eternal. And that's what God is trying to do. In Hebrews 7, quickly I'll write, say this. It says, I'm going to paraphrase one of the little lines here. It says, because he lives to con- pray continuously for them, he is the high priest who perfectly fits our need perfectly fits our need. And <clears throat> the last thing that I want to say is that one of the things that I know is the most important thing in my relationship with God. Like last night they talked about connection with people. Uh, definitely people have helped me 30 years to stay faithful. Um, another, the most important thing has been my connection with God through his word. It is the most important thing you have. It is your weapon. It's your tool. If you don't get in your Bible, you have no choice. Like we were raised in in early Christian days where every day you got up and you just were held accountable. I'm so grateful for that training because it has taught me to rely on Jesus. The words of Jesus are the most important things in my life. Um, I can read something that's going to convict me, inspire me. I can see Jesus like I can't even imagine. Like I close my eyes and I see, you know, Moses and Elijah. And I can see that. I hear Jesus say things to me. When I'm down, like he promises us, promises me things that I don't feel at the moment. He reminds me that I have hope. He reminds me that the struggle is going to end. He reminds me I can, will make heaven if I persevere. He reminds me of all those things that I need to hear those things. You know, you can hear that from a friend. I need to hear that from God because that's me, my creator, my savior, my Lord. And he, when he tells me, I believe that's my father. That's my good shepherd. And so I, I believe that he loves me. He's my good shepherd. He's prepared a place for me. He's waiting for me with open arms and a big hug and kiss. Can't wait to see that. And remembering all of this gives me a peace that passes understanding. It's indescribable. You can't describe it to a coworker. You can't tell people. You can only feel it in your heart and go, this is super, this is from God's spirit. Amen? All right, so we got about five minutes. Um, I want to share a poem, and then we'll share some quick closing thoughts and pray. Um, So I, I was studying the Bible with this guy who had wanted to be restored a few times over the course of years. And uh, there was one week where he said, hey, I'm ready to come back. And we scheduled a time to come back, and God took him before we had a chance to meet. And so the story kind of talks about that, but it's a little bigger than that. There I stood face to face with the five-year-old son of the father whose eulogy I was asked to read at the funeral. The man who I had contacted just three days before the accident, stating, hey, I'll be at church this Sunday, you should come by. 
Not to my surprise, he actually showed up with a smile hidden in his eyes and some scars on his back. So I asked him, are you ready to come back? With reluctancy hooked to both sides of his mouth, Joker pulled back as if to say, why so serious? Let's put a smile on that face. Trepidatious, he said what he has said many times before. My master has treated me poor. I know life is too short. Can we meet soon to get me out this dark nightmare? See, this wasn't his first attempt at return. He had approached the edge of his burial site many times before, but he was too afraid to shut the door behind him out of fear of missing out. A place he had laid so willingly six years ago, he should have known he only had a six-foot jump to go. Even if he fell, he would have survived the fall, but he felt like he had already fallen too far. The fog covered up the bottom floor, so there he is at the edge of this now cliff, having forgotten if at the bottom was life or the abyss where he knew he belonged. What he knew he deserved, what were once the still waters of his salvation, now sounded like crashing waves of impending death below. So blinded by darkness, looking in that black mirror, not realizing he already is what he most dreads. Holding on to those chains of what seems like life, oblivious to the fact that he's already the living dead. God's voice called from the grave, two blows to the chest and one to the head. But he never allowed it to penetrate his heart because like Caesar, he thought that being with her was the best part. And isn't that what we all want? To be king. To be queen. You desire but do not have, so you wage war unconcerned with the bodies that fall beside you to the battle floor. You fight for the crown you once died to give up because you think there's something better on the other side? You think there's something better in the life that you set aside? Better what? Better people? Better places? Better experiences or freedom? A better you? A better truth? There's an old war call that goes blood, blood makes the green grass grow. It just so happens that blood and bones make great fertilizer. So if greener grass is what you want, stay exactly where you are. No need to travel. Pay the 30 silver coins and you can keep your field of blood, Judas. Since his blood was no longer enough. Foolish. Just two days later, before I had the chance to meet with my friend to talk of his surrender, God had decided it was time to have his account rendered. God will judge him justly. That's not up to us to figure. But when people ask what your life was about, if God is not king, your tombstone will read only one thing. He realized his fear of missing out. You know, I think about The scripture where it says, it rains on the righteous and the wicked. Just this week, as she was talking about when God gives you a topic of peace, I sinned against a brother and had to get open about it at the beginning of this week. And we didn't get a chance. I confessed, apologized, but he wasn't sure where he was at. And we didn't talk till two o'clock in the morning last night. And I don't do well with that. When there's a a gap in the relationship or a gap in the love, there's a a communication gap. Where are you at? How far did I break the trust? Are we, are we going back to friendship or am I earning this thing again? And I'm okay with either one, but being kind of kept in ambiguity was tough. This whole week, my stomach's been in knots. And this lesson was so perfect. And even before we got up here, I was like, man, we talked last night, it went, went great, still have some feelings, but, but there's just this, I'd rather it rain on the righteous with God, because it's going to come regardless. All right, well, uh, thank you guys. I'll say a quick prayer for us. Um, Diane didn't have any final thoughts, so we're just going to pray it out. Um, 
Oh, God. Um, yeah, you are more than enough. Mm-hmm. And it's just hard to see sometimes. And it's easy to look at the immediate or the temporal. Um, but God, we're reminded of your son in the wilderness. We're reminded of him in the garden when he wrestles with you to give you glory mm-hmm. despite his upcoming suffering, despite all his friends abandoning him. We're reminded of his reverent submission as the Messiah. God, please help us to imitate this. And not just for now, not just in big instances, God, but for our lives until we get to see you. Father, I pray for peace mm-hmm. for those of us that don't have it. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of us that have relationships that have caused us trouble or who have lost people or who struggle with wanting to go back to the world mm-hmm. or who struggle with being single and still giving you glory. Father, I pray that we would remove ourselves as the main character of this story mm-hmm. and that we would, we would put you back where you rightfully belong. Mm-hmm. God, I know that you're calling some of us to enter the wilderness for some physically, for some symbolically. But God, I pray that you would move in the hearts of those who feel called, whose hearts are being tugged even now to meet you somewhere. God, I pray they would make a decision this weekend to go. That we wouldn't be afraid to enter scary places if it means we get to meet you and get to see you. Father, we thank you. And we praise you for giving us a high priest who can relate to everything that we've gone through. Yep. You didn't have to do that. He could have come with with a dictatorial attitude and just told us what to do. Mm-hmm. And instead, he became our servant. Mm-hmm. God, we thank you and honor you for your sovereignty, mm-hmm. for your providence, and for your will. Mm-hmm. And we ask to bring it to fruition, to see the world saved, and to one day be with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, we love you so much. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. May you find joy in your journey. Amen. You've just listened to the Elevate Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit elevatecoastal.com.